0: Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timmery on Relevant Radio. I'm pretty excited about Advent. I don't know about you. Kyle Clark was just talking about Christmas lights. We have a great tradition of Christmas lighting In Southern California, since there's not the snow and glow of other parts of the country. So whatever you might be anticipating, looking forward to the season, I hope you will join me in the joy leading up to Christmas as we mark the Advent season. Now I love to get ready for our liturgical season such as Lent, and Advent is one of my favorites because it's like a mini Lent, it's preparing us for the coming of Christ. And penance, fasting, all of those things should be a part of our Advent season. We don't want to jump too quick into the Christmas season, but in that preparation, the fun of the lights and everything, we can actually bring quite a bit of attention to a prayerful state and opportunity to grow and the joy of the season in that anticipation. So join me in just a few minutes as we will Look at a ton of really fun Advent resources. My team here has been working together. Miranda Siniceros is one of my new producers here on Relent Radio, and we've been working to gather together some great resources and ideas for you for this Advent, whether you have children, whether you don't. I spoke earlier in the week about things such as books to start preparing for Advent, things to bring into your home, such as the Advent wreath. All of this takes some preparation. And I know in years past, I've kind of fallen into Advent and felt really sad. Maybe when I was living out on my own, I didn't quite have an Advent wreath yet. That was something I wanted to have around. Or maybe you heard of the Jesse tree and you wanted to do a Jesse tree. We are walking through all of these things today and in the coming days. And I already recommended some of my favorite books to read, as part of that Advent season, because I think a good book should be a part of your Advent time of preparation leading up to Christ at Christmas. There's good news to celebrate to celebrate in Peru and lots to be said on the topic of finding purpose and inspiration in our lives, whether you're single or married. But before we do so, I want to talk a little bit about infertility treatments this is a topic that isn't going anywhere. And maybe you've heard it discussed quite a bit here on Trending. There's a reason. I find weekly, I am coming across a stranger or a friend who's struggling with fertility and infertility. And whether it's young, freshly married. In fact, I just met a woman at church this weekend. She was so sweet and kept playing and cooing at my kids. My kids adored her and were flocking to her, total stranger, and afterward just started spilling her story about how she's recently married. She's 22. She wants to have kids and she has polycystic ovarian syndrome and she just doesn't know where to begin. She's scared about not being able to have babies. And so maybe that's your story. Maybe that's the story of someone you know. I hope that in having this conversation, real honest conversation about fertility, fad diets, things that help, things that don't help, sound medical science, that we can find some resources and hope, but also address some of the alternatives to fertility treatment that don't jive with our Catholic faith. So Alyssa asked me on Instagram this summer about my thoughts on a story about fertility. And you may know her from the Cheetah Girls. If you were a fan of the Disney Channel and the movie, The Cheetah Girls, I know I was as a kid. She's now known as a talk show host for E! She was one of the hosts for the Love for the Ages spouse swap for a younger person. She's been all over the media. Her name is Adrienne Balin. Huffton. And if you're not familiar with her, again, millennials know her as one of the Cheetah Girls. Now, she's married to a Christian singer, and she's married to to Israel Huffton. And they got married a little later in life she got married in her early 30s i think she was actually 33 when she got married and as she was approaching her 40s she was struggling wasn't able to conceive a baby i don't know if i have no clue and i always preface this i don't know what her full story is i don't know her full medical history i don't know whether there was contraception or past but what i do know is that she entered into her mid-30s wanting to have babies and struggled really struggled. She went through eight rounds of failed in vitro fertilization. That's expensive. She had multiple miscarriages along the way. One very late term miscarriage or middle of late term, five months along, five months into her pregnancy. I oh, God bless her and help her. I can't even imagine carrying that wound. I know you, maybe you have miscarriage. is so common and under-discussed in our culture. We really need to be able to have a little more conversations about that and mourn and celebrate, both mourn these children, but celebrate their lives. I was just with a friend the other night, and she's had multiple miscarriages uh, in her journey lost multiple babies and is just you know in this season of what if what if as she's facing a new pregnancy a new baby and so if you could keep her in your prayers or anyone who's trying to conceive a baby or at risk of having a miscarriage it's such a sensitive topic and one that with men and women we need to have a greater dialogue around because Adrian Balen Huffman her story is a story of so many women today. Now, not every woman is going to be able to afford in vitro fertilization. Most women, I hope, please God, are not going to go through eight rounds of IVF fail. And then in her story, Adrienne was told by a doctor that he advised her as kind of a last-ditch effort to go ahead and try and move forward with the surrogacy, since she personally was not able to carry to term. They had had some babies, referred to as embryos, in the early stages of life that they could still implant into a woman's uterus and try to see if the babies developed. And so, if you know her story, she actually welcomed her baby boy, James Houghton, who was born in 2022. She's glowing. She is full of joy in her motherhood. She had the deep desire that so many women have for a baby. And that is so legitimate. And no matter the circumstances, we always celebrate a new life. We celebrate motherhood. I want to share with you some of the facts I do think we need to consider in the story as we have a real tough conversation about fertility because it's necessary. The facts are number one, she got married at 33, heading toward her middle 30s. We know that our biological clock as women is ticking. It's one of those statements I hate to hear. I remember people would make that statement to me as my now husband and I dated for way too long before we got married. And people would say, well, you know your biological clock's ticking and I wanted to twitch every time from the tick every time someone mentioned a talk. I, I get it. It's a frustrating comment, but it's also legitimate in the sense that women are being lied to you have a baby on your terms. Well, a lot of women are facing serious fertility issues when they suddenly settle down, get married later in life, or wait even longer to try and have children. And so here, Adrian was trying to have children in her mid and late 30s. And She was trying desperately eight rounds of failed in vitro fertilization. Do you have any clue how hard that is on a woman's body? I'm going to post links in the episode notes as well as on social media. Just follow me at Timory, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E to Dr. Susan Caldwell, who's by the way, a medical doctor who specializes now in infertility and infertility. But many years ago, after going to medical school, before she specialized in fertility, she couldn't have babies. And she chose in vitro fertilization, and she wouldn't recommend it to anyone. I hope you'll listen to her story. We'll link it in the episode notes because she shared it many times here. And she is—we have a wealth of knowledge in the library book banks of trending here at Relevant Radio for asking questions with her, from PCOS to endometriosis to thyroid. We cover a ton low progesterone. So I hope you'll check out that resource bank that I'm posting on social media as well as in the. Re- episode notes because I'll include some of that information as we dive further into this topic of fertility. But here's the reality. Adrienne Bailey and Huffton, she was two things. One, got married later in life and was trying to have a child for the first time later. A woman, let's face the fact, a woman's deepest longing is often for a baby. In fact, even at times more so than for a husband. Now, gentlemen, don't be offended. Many of you know this is true. For all women, this isn't the case, but for a lot of women, it is. The joke that women's ovaries are aching and they're desiring to have a kid, it's legitimate. Women have this natural tendency, this movement toward motherhood. Now, our culture tries to stymie it, saying, No, not now. Never. Your choice. My body. Beyond contraception. Prevent pregnancy at all costs. But deep down inside, there's always that longing. And at some point in a woman's life, whether it's late into her 20s, into her 30s, into her 40s or 50s, women end up wanting children. They try and often try too late. I look at the stories of people such as Jennifer Aniston, who legitimately had a difficult time having children, there's there was a story I read recently that Jennifer Aniston, formerly the wife of Brad Pitt, um, she actually receives flowers every year on Mother's Day by another actor. I can't remember who it is. Just acknowledging that desire for motherhood and just as a tip of the hat to, to that maternal dimension of Jennifer that was there, that, w- that had this potency and this hope that never uh, bore fruit in having biological children. And so, oh, it was Adam Sandler who always sends her those flowers. I thought that was sweet, and I hope someone doesn't try to say that's a joke, because I really don't think that's a joking matter, and I, I don't think that he's joking about that. Uh, but I am genuinely happy for women who have children, especially after struggling with fertility. Praise God for those babies, even when those babies are brought into this world in ways that we don't agree with as Catholics. And so this is the bottom line. When people say, I'm so happy for Adrienne Bailey and Huffton, I am too. Praise God for her child. That is a miracle no matter what. But here's the bottom line. Even if we celebrate her motherhood and celebrate this baby, that doesn't mean that we approve of the way that life was brought into this world. IVF and surrogacy may produce a baby which we celebrate, but it's not good for mom. It's not good for the surrogate or baby, both for all three, the surrogate mom or the baby's psychology or physically. Not to mention that abortion is usually part of the process under the guise of, quote, selective reduction when you go through with IVF or surrogacy. Now, there are so many elements to the entire IVF process that we could walk through and address. But let's just touch briefly on a few of them. IVF is harmful for women's bodies, and it's full of false promises. In the story, for example, here of Adrienne bellion Hufton, actress, singer, songwriter, you may know her from E! You may know her from the Cheetah Girls if you're a millennial. I've not continued to follow her over the years, but it was a little exciting to kind of read a little bit of her story. She went through eight rounds of in vitro fertilization until finally doctor said, really? No, we have a couple of embryos as babies that are still frozen and we could implant them and you can try a surrogate. So, here's what happens. IVF is harmful for women's bodies because it leads the woman who is trying to produce eggs for the IVF process, leads her body to enter into hyperovulation mode. Usually, a woman only produces one egg. Sometimes on rare occasion, there might be two eggs or on rare, rare, rare occasions, even three where, for example, twins or triplets could be produced. But usually each cycle, once a month, a woman's body might, if in a healthy place, usually produces one egg that gives the opportunity to be fertilized and produce new human life in that instance. And so what happens when you go through the IVF process, you're given a series of drugs to go through Hyperovulation, where you produce a lot of eggs at once. Now you should know that a woman only has X so many eggs for the duration of her life. The eggs that are present in her body are already present in her body. They won't produce more. It's just whether or not they're actually being released from the ovaries. Now, what happens when you force the body to release all of these eggs early? Well, things such as ovarian hyperstimulation can occur. A woman can actually die from ovarian hyperstimulation. Dr. Susan Caldwell shared her firsthand experience and story here on Trending, and she now works with countless women who've been through the same exact situation. Now, There's also the fact that because your body is being forced to produce all these eggs early on, a lot of women who go through the IVF process actually end up going into early menopause. Therefore, boom, her ability to ever have children and even to carry can be over because her body is being forced out of its natural function to produce babies. Second, so that's how IVF, just some of the ways, barely touching the surface of how IVF is harmful for a woman's body. IVF is also life-threatening for the baby. We're playing a science experiment in a less than conducive environment. Many lives, that is multiple lives, of babies are negligently destroyed along the way. Now, I know this is harsh to hear, but just hear me out. If a woman is having a hard time naturally conceiving, or maybe she's conceiving but can't carry to term, we're gonna now create human life outside of petri dish outside of the body we where inside a petri dish where it's less likely that new life will actually start to develop yet alone continue and then we're going to pl- implant that baby into a not as conducive environment in that the woman's body already wasn't functioning well in a pregnancy or in a surrogate body where that actually isn't the biological mother of the baby and the body's being forced into a pseudo-pregnancy state. And so a lot of these babies, therefore, through the IVF process, end up being miscarried. Why? Because we're being negligent with human life in environments that were not functioning in a conducive way. So many babies die along the way. And I think I really do believe this is negligence. I'm not trying to throw shame or guilt out there, but we really are playing a science experiment in what's called consumer baby making, contractual baby making. We're signing away docu- through documents the ability to conceive babies, to give away sperm and egg to other people by being donors to conceive babies. Not to mention that IVF is also life threatening for the baby because it engages in selective reduction. That is called abortion. So, what happens is sometimes maybe five babies, five embryos in the earliest stages of development are implanted in a woman's uterus. Because so many commonly die off, they implant a lot at once. And then, let's say two die off, but then three babies are still continuing to gestate and develop. They wait a little longer, they wait a little longer. Some cases, No babies continue to develop and all are miscarried. Some cases, two or three or sometimes more continue to develop. And they say, okay, here's what we know about the genetic makeup of these babies. Which ones would you like to abort? Not abort. They say selectively reduce. And they kill babies along the way. This is part of the reason why the church is against IVF. And I'll make that clear toward the end, but I think it's pretty intuitive and makes sense. Now, let's take it to the next step, where a surrogate is used, where a woman's body is used to carry another woman's baby. This in the story that we're speaking of specifically of Adrian Billion Houghton, who's known from the E! Talk Show or from things such as Love for the Ages and millennials, you know her as the Cheetah Girl. That was part of her story. She ends up after eight failed rounds of IVF, which is so damaging for your body, is so emotionally disruptive, she turned to surrogacy as a last resort recommended by her doctor. I'm sorry, but what kind of doctor is this? Just saying, this is so harmful for women's bodies and so negligent with the babies who are also the doctor's patients too. How is this in good conscience being recommended? Anyway, surrogacy is that last resort. Now, surrogates often are doing the, or should I say, they're often, I'll just be blunt, renting their womb out because that's literally what they're doing because they're in need of funding. Now, I remember the day I got married. The woman who we hired and brought in to do my hair and my sister's hair for the day of the wedding. I'm talking to her and she keeps having to pause to put various shots into her stomach and take various medications. And she just forthrightly starts sharing about how she signed up to be a surrogate and how she really wants to help other women to have children because she's a mom and she loves being a mom. But then what she goes on to say is, well, my husband and I both work we're doing the best we can so that we're both present to the kids. I work these hours, he works those hours, but we still need more money. And so I'm being a surrogate. I figured I can help women who are having a hard time being, having babies and I can carry more children. She was pumping her body with shot after shot after shot to be a surrogate. And I remember just looking at her and at one point, because she kept up opening the conversation, I said, do you know if there's anything harmful to your body with going through a surrogacy? Is there a negative impact? Like is that's a that sounds like a big commitment. And she shut the door. She didn't want to engage. She knew that there were harmful things that were going to be done to her body in the process of this. She knew that she was going to have to shut off emotions to a child who she would bond with for nine months and then have ripped from her after quote gestating that baby. This is rent-a-body. It's physically not good for her body to force her body into the state of carrying a baby when it doesn't happen naturally. it's also damaging for the woman who is called the surrogate, the gestational carrier, whatever you want to call her. It's damaging for her psychologically. We are seeing story after story, even mainstream stories in the media right now, where these women are experiencing severe postpartum depression after the baby is literally ripped from their arms taken from their bodies, and they have next to no relationship with a baby, or if they do, they're watching on the sidelines as another woman cares for the baby that she just gestated. You can't tell me that after carrying a baby for nine months, there isn't a deep and intimate bond. Now, we aren't even mentioning the impact of surrogacy on the infant. Just think about it. Surrogacy is a legal contract before that baby is even conceived where there's a commission given to a mother to carry a baby to, tr- to term in order to remove that baby from his or her little stable environment where he or her just bonded for nine months with that mom. Now, it was intriguing to me earlier this year as stories such as Khloe Kardashian. Y'all know the Kardashians, even if you don't want to sh- watch the shows. Or Lance Bass, you love him, hate him from the boy band in Sync. Um, these two people have shared their stories recently of surrogacy. And Khloe Kardashian said to her own sister Kim Kardashian on one of the earlier episodes this year of The Kardashians that she wishes people were more transparent and honest about surrogacy. She shared that she just had a baby with a surrogate using a surrogate earlier this year, and it wasn't what she expected. It was cold. It was sterile. There was difficulty in bonding with her baby. She felt bad for taking the baby away from the woman who had just carried that child for nine months. Lance Bass, who's in a same-sex relationship, who commissioned a woman to carry his baby as well, he came out sharing that it was also a difficult circumstance and that those boys wanted nothing to do with him, didn't want affection, didn't want hugs, that This bait, these babies only wanted contact from women, and he gave the example of how they would want no physical contact with him. They had a hard time bonding. There was a lot of difficulty for these babies. Just think how starved these kids were for the maternal affection they needed, and how wounded psychologically they were, just because they can't speak. It still occurs that they were wounded psychologically because. They had been separated from the woman who had carried them for nine months. But then Lance Bass's mom comes around, grandma, and they all of a sudden are cooing and awing with them, her snuggling and not wanting to be detached from the grandma. Here's the bottom line. Surrogacy may produce a baby, which we celebrate, but it's not good for mom. It's not good for the surrogate. It's not good for the baby, both psychologically and physically. Not to mention that abortion is usually part of the process under the guise of quote selective reduction. The Catholic Church teaches that every single human life is meant to be brought into this world through the intimate marital act of co-creation between a husband and a wife with God. Any other means to conceive a child does not give the child their rightful dignity of conception of that loving relationship of a mom and a dad. In addition, to be clear, surrogacy and IVF, IVF both objectify the mom, the woman who's carrying the baby, jesting the baby the father donating the sperm and children are also being objectified to produce a child to be consumed. And I say that because we're making consumer babies. We don't believe in designer babies or consumer contracts to make a baby. And I know that we might be celebrating when someone has a child and we should celebrate motherhood. We should celebrate a baby, all babies who are in existence and alive, but we should be tackling the way in which women are being offered infertility solutions children are always gifts to be celebrated but how we conceive them should honor the means in which babies are brought into this world for the sake of the baby and for the sake of the mom and if you just think about it salvation history is full of miraculous pregnancies in seemingly impossible circumstances so as people of faith we should be inspiring and encouraging and praying For the struggle of infertility, not just saying, why don't you try IVF? Why don't you try surrogacy? I'm going to come back and discuss real solutions. I'll share some of my story. And this is the most common conversation I have today with women who I don't even know. Quote, I'm struggling with infertility. What do I do? What do you know? We'll have real solutions other than the pill, real solutions that are honest and respect women and don't have to involve abortion. I'll be right back here on Trending. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Okay, so we've been talking about the story of people such as Adrian Bellion Hufton, who joyfully has welcomed into this world a new life over the last couple of years, but she used IVF to get there. Eight rounds of IVF failed, used a surrogate. I just chronicled some of the key reasons understanding the medical and psychological impact of IVF on the commissioning mother, the surrogate, the birth mom, the baby. There's a lot to be said here. And if you haven't heard this conversation, I know it's a difficult one because our families, our friendships seem to be riddled with infertility today, and many of whom are turning to in vitro fertilization. And my hope isn't to sit here and say, shame on you for doing IVF. My hope is to say, I wish you knew all the facts. I wish you had the facts. And I wish that we would be willing to step into those uncomfortable situations and conversations where people are talking about it, where people are talking about their infertility struggles and how IVF is never a solution because it's so damaging for women. I'll never forget, goodness, maybe about seven, eight years ago, I was at a coffee shop and I was doing research for hours and hours and had all kinds of stuff on my screen. And I've since learned I've gotta be really careful (laughs) where I'm at and what I'm researching on my screen. Cause if there's kind of just a watching eye, they really do wonder what I do. And so this man ended up leaning over and I was researching IVF that day. And he leaned over and he said, excuse me, I noticed you're looking up uh, things to do with fertility and in vitro fertilization. I said, oh, yes, I'm doing some research on the topic. And he said, can I just tell you, please don't do it. My wife and I years ago, this was 30 years ago, used a couple of rounds of in vitro fertilization. It was extremely expensive. Nothing worked. And it wrecked my wife. She is low functioning now, doesn't leave the house much. It really damaged our relationship. I love her so much, but I have seen her absolutely destroyed both physically and psychologically by IVF, that desperate try to have a child and that sorrow when it couldn't happen and how damaging it was to her body. He said, please, whatever you do, don't do it. And I said, oh, thank you for your story. Thank you for sharing with me. Thank you for having the courage to just butt in and say something. I'm not looking at doing IVF. However, I do research and we shared a little bit about what I did. And he was so grateful. And he just kept sharing more and more of his story. I hope you'll pray for this man and his wife. Because people are not being told the truth about how IVF is full of false promises. It's very expensive. People are going into debt in order to do it. And yes, many children do have... Babies thanks to IVF praise the lord we celebrate children we celebrate life. We don't we're not disgusted by anyone no matter the means of their conception but what we do have concern about is the way in which we're getting there that's damaging women's bodies and killing babies along the way. That's why we're concerned. And so what I want to show we really dove into that topic of IVF earlier in the show what I want to share a little bit now of is my story with fertility and how the most common conversation I have today before people have any idea about my own story is I was struggling with infertility. I met a woman at church this weekend. She was having fun playing with my girls. I walked outside. And next thing you know, I meet her, I learned her name and she's sharing with me that she is struggling with infertility. She might not be able to have kids. And they're trying to figure it out. She's 22 years old. And I think there's so much hope there. Tons of great opportunity news. But a lot of women are not being given that information. She literally, she said, I have PCOS. And I said, I have two And I had Hashimoto's and I have two girls, praise God. And so the story continues every single time. The woman says, well, I tried the pill for years or I didn't. I said no to the pill because I don't agree with the pill. I know it's hard for my bodies, but then no other solution is offered. And women are left floundering, trying to figure out what do I do, whether you're married or not married, with these broken pieces of being concerned about fertility. So this conversation is chronicling some of my story. A lot of what we did, it's a it's a lot at once that a crash course and some of what we worked through, but I think it's important. So you may know me and it's interesting because people will actually write in quite often to the show. And it's like, why does Tim Murray hate IVF and hate it when people have babies? And I, I, it's sad because they'll say she has babies. Don't you know that people just want to have children? I do. I really do get it. You know me for having my two girls. They're about to turn one and three years old, but Ever since I was 16 years old, I struggle with autoimmune disease and severe food allergies that left me struggling to function day to day. I remember freshman year of college. At one point, it was hard to just get out of bed. I was so exhausted and just miserable trying to fit in, figured out food allergies and another round of food allergies. And at a certain point along my journey, figured out that there had to have been some sort of autoimmune disorder that was clearly there, but it took years to figure it out. And I was told along this journey that it was very likely going to be difficult for me to have children. I actually remember one day having that conversation with my now husband when we were dating, when the doctors started to say that to me frequently. Now, after I got married, I started seeing a NAPRO doctor and was finally diagnosed with the root problems of polycystic ovarian syndrome and Hashimoto's disease. Up until then, we knew I had severe food allergies and some sort of autoimmune disease, but we couldn't figure out what it was. Especially for women, PCOS and Hashimoto's, testing it unless you have a really good doctor who knows what he or she's testing for our bodies are young. They're fighting. They're in their prime. And so they can go in and out of remission and reverse versions of PCOS and Hashimoto's. And so often it's not until women are into their mid-30s and desperate now trying to have kids that they find out. This is why if you have any sort of irregularity or you know a woman who has a lot of irregularity in her cycle, severe PCOS, that's a really good sign you need to get checked out because infertility is on the rise and it's better to know now than wait. It's better to figure it out in high school to get resources and be taking good care of your body so that you can thrive now. A healthy cycle leads to a healthy woman who is better functioning. And that's so different from the model of just using birth control that is just a generic version of hormones, which by the way, are synthetic group one carcinogens recognized internationally in countless peer-reviewed studies now this is my story and this is how we worked through everything so I get married and boom I find out that I have PCOS and Hashimoto's I was actually grateful because I now had labels for what was wrong that could help me Chase after better treating before it was just don't eat what I'm allergic to and try to stay really healthy and you know follow some of the blood work. Look at you know, is my vitamin D low, is iron low, kind of just following the basics that we should be aware of. So, what ends up happening is I started working with both a napro physician, which, if you're not familiar with, you may hear a lot about the Creighton model or natural family planning, NAPRO is the m- medical technology behind natural family planning. And it can actually be used to achieve pregnancy and address and treat underlying medical health issues. It's actually almost like this hidden gem of the Catholic pro-life movement because it was Catholic doctors, Dr. Hilders, who created this form of medicine and is helping treat women. And so it's really predominantly Catholics who know. So you have this golden nugget, this golden ticket for someone who's struggling with fertility and infertility. I remember the day we bought our car. The woman who sold us our car was struggling with infertility. I was able to give her the information for a Napro Doctor. Praise God. I remember when I was a kid My mom did a lot in the pro-life movement, knew a lot about NFP and NAPRO. My skate coach, when I was a little girl, couldn't have children. My mom helps get her information for Creighton and a NAPRO doctor. And guess what? She has a baby. Praise God. I could share with you so many stories of strangers who aren't even Catholic, who knew nothing about NAPRO technology. So I used a multifaceted approach of NAPRO technology and sound NAPRO doctor. And I'll post links on social media for how to find a Creighton care practitioner and a NAPRO doctor. And also I use a naturopathic doctor as well because with polycystic ovarian syndrome and Hashimoto's, there's a lot that could be said that Hashimoto's treatment, mainstream medical Hashimoto's treatment can actually be damaging for trying to conceive babies and actually can be really harmful for while you're pregnant. And if you have Hashimoto's, basically your thyroid is attacking not just your own itself, but these antibodies are attacking your thyroid and they're attacking your body. I remember at one point in grad school, you could just like set your hand on my arm and just like smush through softer than a marshmallow. Like there was nothing there. My body was under such severe attack. Now with polycystic ovarian syndrome, mainstream approach to treating it is just with birth control, which doesn't actually treat what's going on. With polycystic ovarian syndrome, you could be you could be testosterone dominant. You could be low in progesterone. There are a lot of different versions of PCOS. And so I turned to naturopathic doctors and my NAPRO physicians to help treat things. I was taking progesterone in the luteal phase of my cycle because that helps that if conception does occur, that the baby's supported in order to continue to develop. Because if your progesterone's low, just think about the word, progesterone, that's progestation, well, it's going to be difficult for that baby to continue to develop. So I had progesterone. um, I was on progesterone before I conceived my first baby. I did not continue to take it later on because we were really able to treat my body naturally later on after my first pregnancy. And Also, once you get pregnant, often a lot of things help to reset in your body. Just the miracle of life. You give your child new life, and your child helps often to bring health to you in return. And I know people talk about how babies deplete our bodies, and they do, but there's a lot of good for our bodies as well. And so I also had to be on progesterone with both of my pregnancies. If you followed my story, I'm... In the first half of pregnancy, if progesterone is low, it leaves you very at risk for miscarriage. And in the second half of pregnancy, if your progesterone is low, it leaves you at risk for preterm labor. And I really struggled with my second baby girl last year with preterm labor. (laughs) Grace of God, everything. Was okay. So I did use progesterone, and that is administered through a NAPRO physician. They are experts at monitoring and guiding both prior to pregnancy to help you in your monthly cycle to be on progesterone, to help conceive and to continue on with that pregnancy with the baby, but also during pregnancy to monitor your progesterone levels. If you're someone who's a little low on progesterone, if you're someone who has really severe, p- um, a PMS that's a good sign that you might be someone who's a candidate who would need that progesterone to help prevent miscarriage. Now, we did a lot of natural supplementation with great nap- with great naturopathic doctors, holistic doctors that addressed supplements and diet. I had to go prior to conceiving, I was we ended up testing because one of the common uh, causes of Hashimoto's disease, which is when your thyroid is overactive, is actually heavy metal So I ended up going through testing for heavy metals and was extremely high on things such as mercury, aluminum, and I can't remember all of the others, but mercury is a big cause for Hashimoto's. And so I ended up doing a heavy metal detox. It's a lot of work. And I'm just throwing it out there because I know a lot of women who want so desperately to have children. I think there's a lot we can do to make sure our bodies are in a healthy place. But We also need to trust in God's mercy and God's providence, God's timing, God's generosity, God's choice to allow us to wait a while or maybe to allow us to exercise spiritual motherhood in other areas. And so I will share part of my story. I'll never forget our priest and dear friend who married us came over to our house one day and he never asked about kids, but in just conversation, things came up about how I had learned I had had a Hashimoto's and he ended up saying, okay, I'll be right back. And I'd like share this like really heartfelt Well, and he goes, ah, so that's why you're not having kids. And I said, yes, that's why it's difficult. And he just walks away. <laughs> I just remember laughing like, oh, this is great. Like a, a bedside manner, just kind of laughing and he would laugh. We he heard this at, at my priest thinking you don't just, someone tells you that and you don't just walk away. But like any good man, he had a solution and he had a fix. And I remember he came walking back after like walking away and I'm just looking at my husband thinking, what do I say when he comes back? That was really awkward. And he comes back with his kit and he has me the next moment and I'm receiving anointing of the sick by the grace of God. And he said, you know, we're going to give you anointing of the sick to just help with anything that could be getting in the way of you receiving children, any spiritual warfare. And I also had had a bishop who had come and said, You know, I think we need to pray for you and do some exorcism prayers over you with regard to fertility because you do so much work on the life issue that we want to make sure that you're spiritually protected. And so God's hand, I just share, was in every single moment of this journey, Uh, even just on the health side, addressing deficiencies in vitamin D, being really low on vitamin D, which is really bad if you have an autoimmune disorder. You want to have higher than usual vitamin D levels. Um, Even learning such as Teflon in our usual pans is really bad for fertility, so I swapped over to using all cast iron pans, which was a lot of work, but now it's an art and really fun. Uh, Doing things such as using Berkey water filters to make sure the hormones from birth control that are in our drinking water isn't in the water that we drink in our Home or any of the endocrine disruptors from the most comical common form of abortion, chemical abortion, that's also in our drinking water. That that wasn't being exposed. Using an anti-inflammatory diet was key. In fact, I have some great anti-inflammatory diet cookbooks, gluten-free, dairy-free cookbooks. I'm going to add in the episode notes. I love the Autoimmune Paleo cookbook and also Daniel Walker's cookbooks as well, as she has Eat What You Love and some others. I had to learn how to convert my whole diet my pantry relearn how to cook but i'll just share a few things and kind of concluding this conversation because i know this is a lot but i wanted to give a crash course of information on what helped me what a lot of the research has been that's been really beneficial i remember our napro physicians gave us information for egg and sperm quality And things to do to make sure that both, you know, wannabe mom and dads have that uh, good support behind them. And they said for both the mom and the dad, uh, people trying to conceive that the man and the woman take 10,000 IUs a day of vitamin D, no gluten no sugar for men and women because it helps with sperm quality and egg quality and then dairy free for women can often because hormones from dairy often impact women and just getting healthy moderate exercise especially for women not overdoing it but Hey, if whether you're struggling with fertility or infertility or know someone, these are some of the great resources I'm throwing out there. I've been there. I get it. If you're struggling or you know someone who is, I would love to pray for you. And I'm going to include some great links. If you have irregular periods, acne, severe cramping, PMS, some great resources would include the Period Repair Manual. Happy Girl's Guide to Being Whole. And again, I'm linking to information for where you can find Creighton Fertility instructors and NAPRO physicians. So that's my story, I hope it's helpful and I've got a wealth of knowledge for Dr. Susan Caldwell, who's the best of both worlds. Loving NAPRO technology as she's a NAPRO physician helping with fertility and incorporating the holistic natural elements as well. So I'm posting a list of episodes, an episode guide for where she's joined us answering some of these difficult fertility and women's health questions. I'll be right back here on Trending. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Did you hear the great news earlier this week? The Peru Congress passed a law reinforcing that babies in the womb have a constitutional right to life from the moment of conception. This is incredible. Not from birth, not from birth, but from conception. Right to life from from conception is established in Peru's Constitution and in the Civil Code and the Children and Adolescent Code. This is huge. Now, the vote was this in the Congress there in Peru, 72 to twenty-six. Can I just ask, in what way can we obtain a vote like this in the United States where, again, not everyone, it wasn't a unanimous vote, but where more people in office who are elected officials actually vote in favor of pro-life laws? Something such as this where a child in the womb has the same constitutional rights as an adult, as a child outside of the womb. This recently passed law is the law that recognizes the rights of the conceived is what it's called law that recognizes the rights of the conceived doesn't that sound amazing the baby in the womb is a subject ha, is a subject to the same rights and the full status as a human person not from birth but from conception in the womb why do you think this is such a clear-cut vote in Peru 72 to 26 my initial thoughts are what I see when I sidewalk counsel, when I'm in front of the abortion clinic, when I hear the stories of people looking for abortion, people who don't want abortion. It's family. When people come from families with family values that celebrate life, that celebrate pregnancy, that celebrate motherhood and fatherhood, when we come from families that celebrate marriages even in the challenges of them, when we come from families that anticipate and are eager for new life to come about, we are able to see that we are more apt as a culture to be in favor of protecting life from the moment of conception. And I think that The vote in Peru to protect the baby from the moment of conception is inspiration for us and how we live our lives. We can try to influence and we can pray for our politicians, but at the end of the day, this is a cultural movement. And the culture has to change where the culture celebrates new life, where the culture rejoices when someone is pregnant, where the culture sees generations caring for generations. So one of the big reasons why we moved back to California was because I wanted my children to be with their grandparents. I wanted my parents, who are not old yet, praise God, but who will can only continue to age, to be around the younger, joy-filled, innocent generation of my children. These are things that are important. I wanted my siblings who don't have children yet to be around my kids, to see... The good and the joyful, but also the really challenging moments. And for some reason, it's so funny. Every single time my brother comes over with his girlfriend, they seem to walk into a war zone. And it's just when they come and grant... Like, I We all, I'm one of those people who, like, loves to have my house really well cleaned up before people come over. It's just my personality, and having children has been a real good reality check and lesson in humility and patience for me. But I'll never forget the first time my brother brought his girlfriend over earlier this year after I'd had two kids. And <laughs> I was doing the radio show, and my husband was with the girls during that time, and my brother and his girlfriend show up, and I walk downstairs, and... Somehow the kids had turned the living room into a war zone. And I look at my daughter and I don't let my kids run around naked. Uh, it's just not something I do. I'm not a huge fan of it personally, like on occasion, but you know, modesty and teaching. You know, okay, we wear clothes, especially if we're outside or people are around. And it, it was just a great like humility nudge in the gut. My two and a half year old isn't just running around in her underwear, but she's also covered in mud her hair isn't done and she has super super kinky curly hair so she looks kind of like a dirty hobbit that's been on a journey for a really long time and she just looks like a disaster and i was mortified i'm thinking they're going to think that this is what having kids is like and they're never going to want to have children and i had to just back up because i think sometimes we want to present the perfection of motherhood and the perfection of fatherhood and the perfect looking child with nicely combed hair and good manners and the the day continued so this was the same day that my two-year-old didn't take a nap and she melted down half of the time that my brother and his girlfriend were here and i was humiliated and thinking they're never going to want to have children because my kids are not being perfect. But no, bringing it back to the good news in Peru, the Peru Congress passed this law reinforcing the protection of human life with constitutional rights for the baby from conception. It's because I really do believe that other cultures, ethnic cultures, have a greater honor and respect for women, for mothers, for children, and celebrate that and come together and support intergenerationally the exposure to children. I have seen it time and time again in our modern American culture where someone's in their mid-20s, late 20s, early 30s, and they haven't grown up around cousins. They haven't grown up around babies. I know women who have had children for the first time and they've never held someone's baby before. No wonder they're terrified of having children. This is why places such as Peru, the Philippines, Mexico and others have more pro-life mindsets than we do in America. We've become so closed off from the family dynamic that's so important, from exposing each other to the reality of life rather than the Instagram, social media, picture-perfect version of what it looks like to have kids, which is just not the reality. And you know what's funny? Is that even when I posted the less-than-ideal moments on social media with my kids, it's always... Laughable to me that people will comment and share that, oh, you're just a slave to having children, and it it's funny to me because I hope that we could be transparent, more transparent on social media, that our lives aren't perfect all the time, that we're sharing the good, bad, and the ugly. Even though I think a lot of social media, we desire to see things that are beautiful, but there is beauty in the challenge of the day to day just looking at what my night last night was like my kid, my husband left really early really early for work and my two kids somehow just happened this was the night where it happened right after he left wakes up in the middle of the night and they're both wide awake for two hours. And as I'm trying to take care of one kid in one room, my two-year-old's chasing me through the house at 3.30 a.m. in the morning, running. You hear a little pitter-pattering feet. And I'm going, why are you up? And then the one baby had peed through her clothes and was soaking wet. And I'm trying to change her in the, the dark. and Stay calm, so that she'll go back to sleep. And my two and a half year old's jumping in her face, saying "Goo goo go. good morning, good morning." It was one of those moments, and that's okay. These moments in life happen, and we should be willing to share the reality and the honesty of that's okay. Maybe I'm a little shorter tempered today because there was less sleep that happened last night. But look at the joy of their little faces. Look at their giggles. Look at their laughs. This is something you see. And I think a little more raw of the way in other cultures, in Mexico, in Peru, in the Philippines. And I hope that we can regain this intergenerational exposure, honesty about parenthood and motherhood rather than just the superficial Facebook that is beautiful and fun to share. But that in real life, we need to expose the good, bad, ugly, challenging and sleepless elements of having kids so that we have more politicians who are willing and able to pose such strong pro-life laws and stand behind them with such confidence and joy and integrity. So let's rebuild these family values. I think this is a great mission for all of us. Coming up next is the Family Rosary Across America with Father Simon here on Relevant Radio. This is Timmy from Trending with Tim Ray cover model fabio has criticized the state of masculinity what did he have to say also did you know it's mainstream now to sell your own risque content why has this become normalized why isn't it considered a taboo topic or even worse an out of the question way to make some extra cash we'll discuss friday on trending so join me daily 6 p.m central on relevant radio or the relevant radio app